Jesus was uh, born king. He is born king. He rules and reigns now as king. And so we've been in a series called King of Kings. And so uh, if you're a guest with us, welcome. We're so glad you're here. My name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here. If you, want, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Uh, this sermon title is called Behold the King. Behold the king. That it, we're, we've been looking at Jesus as king. We, were, we talked about how he was, he was uh, uh, it was foretold that he would be king. And then it was told that he was born king. And then Herod didn't like that. And so Herod thought, sought to kill Jesus, but he couldn't. Uh, the wise men came to worship Jesus as king. We are called to worship Jesus as king. Today we're going to look at the most important event in human history. Uh, the reason why Jesus was born and born king. This is the reason of Christmas. The point point of Christmas is the cross of Christ. Jesus was born on purpose, with the purpose. If he's going to deliver his people, like the song we just sang says, that, then he, he must have been born into mankind, into the mess, that, into the sin that we made to remedy, to fix, to atone, to, to undo what we did. And that is exactly what happens at the cross of Christ. And so we're going we're gonna to be in John chapter 19 today. It'll be on the screen. You can turn to it in your Bible. We're going to examine the cross of Christ. We're going to examine it. We're going to look at it. We're going to behold Jesus, our King. And so it starts off this way in, in chapter 19, verse 1. They're going to mock Jesus. They're going to mock him as King. And the, and, the, and the title they're going to give him in mockery is, Hail the King of the Jews. While that, they may mock him in, in, in mockery, falsely, worship, you know, mocking Jesus the King. Hail King of the Jews in mockery. We are called to worship Jesus the King. And so here we're going to pick it up here in verse 1. Pilate took Jesus and, flo- uh, and flogged him. This is the, the Roman leader. Gonna, uh, he's assigned to the task of punishing Jesus. Uh, and so they flogged him. We'll talk about that here in a moment. And then the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in, pr- in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail the King of the Jews. Imagine this. This is done in mockery. The true rightful king, but they're mocking him as king. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus, not guilty. Declared not guilty. By the, the, the only power to, the, in the Roman Empire to enact punishment by death on the cross uh, he's been now declared innocent so later when he is crucified he they're killing a known innocent man declared innocent publicly he is now being declared innocent he finds no guilt in him for there was no guilt in him so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate said to them behold the man this is Jesus King Jesus, sinless Jesus, being brutally beaten. This is what flogging is. It's horrifically cruel. Those condemned to death were, were tied uh, to a post and then beaten with, with rods, but also with a, a leather whip that often had woven in to the whip pieces of bone, metal, uh, glass, anything that, that, that would be used to, as the, the, the whip hit the body would be to rip the skin 
oftentimes exposing the intestines, the bones. This was to literally beat someone half to death, to to quicken their death before they were crucified. Far often that those who were flogged were even, flogging was often fatal for many. That just the act of flogging killed individuals and people who who were sentenced to this type of crime. Now I want you to see this. Jesus Christ, he is born king. Sinless Jesus comes to the earth. Herod seeks to kill him. Pilate officially will kill him. But this is why Christmas matters. In order for Jesus to suffer and die in our place for our sins, he had to take our place. He had to clothe himself. God, the God-man Jesus clothed himself in skin and bones, just like you and I. Lived a life in our place. Sinless, yet we are sinful. He lived a life in our place. And so he's now going to experience the punishment that we deserved through the brutal beating beating and and, and soon-to-be crucifixion. But as they're doing this, what do they do? You notice the same theme that we've seen from before Jesus was born to throughout his life to now, at the end of his life, he's still known as king. It blows my mind that today in 2022 that we still question whether or not Jesus is king. It's, it's emphatically declared it continually, repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, 700 years prior to Jesus being born, fulfilled through the New Testament. And even the, the known ruler and leaders in, in the government, in the state of, of Rome at this time declare him innocent. And later we're going to see they declare him king of the Jews as well. And then Jesus, after he raises from the dead victoriously, Spoiler alert, if you didn't know that, that's how it ends. Jesus, they kill him, but he defeats sin and death. He's then told, we are then told that he has all power and authority given to him. And we're told that he reigns now. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father where he's ruling now as king. Jesus is king. But look at what, how we treated the king. They, they brought him before the people, clothed in a purple robe. As a, as, a, as a sign of royalty, but mocking him nonetheless. They, they, they took a crown of thorns and pressed. Think, think about like a 12-inch spikes being stuck into the, the, the head of the, the skull of Jesus. The, into the temple, to the sides of his head. To where instead of a, a royal crown, it was a crown of thorns to mock him. To where he was, he was not only uh, sweating, but dripping, bleeding, blood dripping from his brow. The purple robe was, was wrapped around him after the flogging. Intestines showing, ribs showing, bones showing, fleshy body showing. We can't stand to rip off a band-aid. Just imagine a robe being put over you after your whole body's been beat just to later then rip it off. This is the king. This is the king. And then he... He says this, Pilate, behold the man. He brings him out. And he, says, and he's, he does this kind of saying, this is, isn't this enough? Isn't this enough? This is cruel. We beat this guy. He's innocent. Shouldn't you, you guys, I know that he, he, you think he broke some of your laws or y'all have some disputes. The Romans talking to the Jews, like we, we don't agree on some things, but surely this is enough. He's been brutally beaten almost to the point of death. He's survived. He's lived. We put some thorns on his head. We mock him. We, we, we spit on him. We, 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 we make fun of him. Isn't this enough? This is humiliating. Surely we're done. 
And he's not even guilty. I need, us to see, I need you to see that, that Jesus the King is still mocked to this day. Obviously by non-Christians. Obviously by those who oppose Jesus. But I want you to see that even Christians today mock Jesus. We declare that he is king with our lips, but our, our lives are lived as if he has no authority, rule, reign over our life. This is a great mockery to the king who gave his life for you. When you're looking, when we're examining the cross, we're seeing the reason for Christmas, that Jesus would come to suffer and die to give himself as a substitute for you. And he is the king who rules and reigns, and we are to worship him. We, we know that salvation, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's salvation. Is he your Lord? Is he your king? And do you mock him by honoring him with your lips, but not denying him with your life? Do you submit to him? Do you worship him? Do you only worship him on Sundays? Or do you only worship him for an hour when you're reading the Bible? What do you do? do is your life filled with constant worship where Jesus is at the center of your life and you, you build your whole entire life around the worship of him? I'm not saying you're sinless. I'm not saying do you, are you, are you a, a, a perfect person. What I'm saying is who's at the center of your life? Is it Jesus? Is it you? Behold the man. Who is the man? Who is the one at the center of your life? Is it you? Or is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? We strip Jesus of the glory due his name. We mock him when, we, when, we, when all power, all dominion, all glory that is, that is to be given to his name. When we seek our own glory, we seek our own dominion, we seek our own power at the expense of King Jesus. This is exactly what they're doing. The Jews want to maintain power. The Jews want to maintain glory. Even Pilate is here going to be convinced that Caesar deserves glory more than Jesus. Verse 6, he continues. When the chiefs, when the chief priests, this is the, the, the church leaders and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. So they see Jesus with the thorns, with, with, the, with the robe around him, with him being mocked publicly on display. And, and Pilate is saying, surely this is enough. They said, no, crucify him. Kill him. Well, I just said he was innocent. Crucify him, crucify him. They cried out. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law. Now they want to obey, right? They want to obey some, some rules. Now that uh, they, they want to kill their king, the God-man Jesus, the only Savior. Take, uh, they said, We have some laws. According to the law that we ought, uh, the, according to the law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Like, man, the more you tell me about this guy, the more innocent he is, the more I realize, like, I probably shouldn't be muddling around with this stuff. Like, I don't believe in your God. I don't worship your God. But if that is, if he is who he says he is, then y'all should be terrified. Y'all should be terrified. And so when Pilate heard the statement, he was afraid. And he entered in his headquarters again with Jesus and said to him, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? This is great. Jesus is silent. 
where are you from? He's, you know, Pilate's trying to talk to him. Jesus is silent. He says, don't you know I have all, Pilate's saying, don't you know I have all authority? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know I have power? Don't you know that I'm the ruler? Don't you know that I have the power to kill you or to save you? And this is what Jesus says. Verse 11, he answered him. You would have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. No one has authority over Jesus. I need you to see this. I want you to let that sink in. Jesus is supreme. No one is taking Jesus' life from him. Pilate, though he has the authority, according to the state, to exercise justice and, uh, and also oversee uh, punishment, and he, though he finds Jesus not guilty, he says, I shouldn't kill him. He's not guilty. Why would you kill an innocent man? Pilate's rationalizing, understanding this. But now he's, he's a little offended by Jesus because he's like, you won't cooperate with me. I need you to know, Jesus, I am the man. I have a power. I have power. I have authority. And Jesus responds back to him. Just think about this. Jesus, brutally beaten, clothed in mockery and shame, naked and exposed. This guy's like, man, I could, I could kill you. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, you can't. You can't do anything. You don't have authority. You don't have power. You don't have anything unless my Father gives it to you from above. Romans 13 makes this even clear as well, that the state has no power unless it's granted by God the Father. God is above it all. Jesus has the authority over all. He is supreme, so let that sink in. In your life right now, this is true. Jesus is supreme. Do you worship him as king? Or are you just, just you know, I, I hear he's a king, I hear he's something, but you know, he, I'm like Pilate. He has no authority over my life. See, that's what Pilate is saying. He's like, okay, they call you king. Their God thinks you're king. Whatever, whatever, whatever. That's your religion. I don't really care. But you're not, you have no bearing over my life, Jesus. And Jesus says, I absolutely do. See, some of you today may be in unbelief. Your heart is hard. You don't worship Jesus. You don't love Jesus. You run from Jesus. And you think that you've escaped his authority. You just think that I've escaped it. Just because I don't acknowledge him as king, he's not my king. Not my king. Not my savior. Don't need him. Jesus looks back at you and says, you have no authority. You have none. Who do you think you are? That's one one group of people. The other group of people in here, you are believing. But you're looking at your circumstance, your life. And you're like, "This, this feels hard. The season I'm in is, is exhausting. What I'm going through is awful. If there's a God, then why hasn't he intervened? Look at your life right now. I need you to know that this is true, that, that no, no one or no thing has any authority over you if Jesus owns you. Even your sin has no power and dominion over you if Jesus owns you. Now, you're like, well, then why am I suffering? Well, you can ask the same question of Jesus. Why is he suffering? See, Jesus isn't, isn't 
a God who just condemn, or, you know, uh, pronounces judgment, and which he will eternally uh, for those who reject him. But he, he enters into the suffering of human history. No other God in the history of the world who claimed to even do this anyway. No religion can even say this. Jesus says, I want you in my family, so I'm going to pay for you to be in my family with my life. I'm going to go through the most extreme suffering to get you, to rescue you. You think you're suffering? I understand. I'm going to suffer to identify with you. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to rescue you. Look at the cross. This is what's happening. Some of you are facing some, some difficult times. You're, you have questioning. You're, you're questioning God's goodness. But I don't want you to miss the goodness here in this text. Who is he going to the cross for? Who is he willing to lay down his life for? When Pilate says, I could release you. And Jesus says, no, you can't. Not unless I, I give you the authority to. But you know what? He's going to say, I willfully accept the punishment. The unjust punishment. Who is he doing this for? Is it for himself? It's for you. It's for me. It's for the sins of the world. You see this. He's willfully exchanging himself. When he has the opportunity to get out, Pilate says, hey, you just tell me where you're from. He's going to say, heaven. He's like, I don't know where that is. Yeah, we know, Pilate. But he doesn't. He stays silent. So that he could be condemned. They didn't take his life from him. He, gave, he gives it up. Do you see him right now? Wielding his authority. For your good. Laying down his life. For your life. We're told this. Jesus teaches us. There's no greater love than this. That a man will lay down his life for a friend. Well, guess what? Jesus lays down his life not just for his friends, but for his enemies. To take his enemies and make them friends. To take rebels and make them sons. To take slaves to sin and make them slaves to righteousness. To take those who have no hope and grant them eternal hope. Take those who feel guilt and shame because of their sin and their rebellion and get new life, cleansing, freedom in Christ forevermore. There's no greater love than this. When you examine the cross of Christ and you see Jesus lifted up and mocked, beaten, scorned, he's doing that for you. This is the point of Christmas. He puts on skin and bones, clothes himself as a man, comes that he might suffer and die in your place so that you, through faith, would not suffer and die for your sin. Behold your king. Verse 12. For when, for then Pilate sought to release him. So, so, I was like, you know what? I got to get rid of this guy. He's going to seek to release Jesus because he's innocent. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. See, I need us to see. Our world, this is exactly how we position Christianity. That you are, if you follow Jesus, then you're not a friend of the state. The state says this, you got to obey this. If you don't do this, we'll cancel you. We don't like you, we want to make fun of you, we will mock you, we will scorn you, we will, we will make Christians look foolish and stupid. That's the goal of the demonic spirit of our age that lives and breathes and reproduces in our country and then across the world. And this is what they do. They, 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 they say, if, hey, Pilate, if you obey God, then hey, what about, what about the state? The state who doesn't worship God, why would you, why would you side with them? Worship Caesar. For everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he's like, man, 
gosh, now I got to do something. Because, you know, I don't, I don't worship him as king, but he's innocent. But, man, I don't want Caesar on my back. I guess we should kill him. Just imagine that. This is what we call human rights in our country. It's like, you know what, I'm not a, this is, a, I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'm not sorry, actually. So many guys, I'm not a woman, they should be able to kill their baby. It's not my body, not my choice. I, you know, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? This is exactly what Pilate is doing. He's hearing the mob, he's hearing the noise, he's hearing the rebellious humanity crying out not for justice but for injustice to murder an innocent man. And he's like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Well, There's so much pressure. What you're supposed to do is obey the God who gave you that position, Pilate. What you're supposed to do, humanity, is worship the God who gave you life. What you're supposed to do is behold your king. Worship your king who's going to give his life for you. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus back, brought him back out and set him down on the judgment seat at a place called uh, the, the, the stone pavement. In an Aramaic, it was Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover and it was about the sixth hour. And, the Jew, and he said to the Jews, behold your king. So now he's like, man, I'm going to be clear about who he is. He's your king. Behold him. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Now he's getting real specific. Are you sure you're telling me to murder your king? And the chief priest answered, hear this. This is the religious leader. This is the church We have no king but Caesar. And so he was delivered over to them to be crucified. Do you see this? It's staggering. Jesus the king is brought before his people and they publicly denounce him. And they side with the state to crucify him. I'm not going to get too much into this, but this is our world. Just think about the many ways our world, we give up as Christians. We mock Jesus by surrendering his word, will, and ways for people, uh, nations, and power, governmental structures that denounce Jesus, denounce his kingship, and we say we have no authority. But Caesar, but the state, but the mayor, but the city council, but our government, but our state, but our laws. If there's a law that contradicts the word of God, it is not. It is made friends with Caesar, not friends with God. So in our land, we don't want to worship Jesus as king. We don't want to be ruled by his word, will, and ways. We don't want that. So we're willing to change definitions. We literally saw the definition of a man and the definition of a woman has been changed by the Cambridge Dictionary. We're changing definitions. 
We, it's one thing to change things publicly, but now we're rewriting truth, exchanging it for lies. Our own currency says, in their day, you know what their currency said? It said Caesar is Lord. It was about Caesar. Our currency in America is supposed to be, we don't worship money, we worship God, and God we trust. It's amazing. We move away from uh, dollar bills and, and, and change, and we just use none of your credit cards saying, God, we trust. It says your name because you worship, we worship ourselves, we worship our bank account, we worship another God. We, have no, we don't even have the, the appearance of worshiping Jesus anymore. And Caesar brings out Jesus before them and says, or sorry, Pilate brings out Jesus before him and says, Behold your king. Behold him. Will you worship him? No, let's crucify him. So let me ask you, when it comes to Jesus, his word will and ways, and you read it for what it is and how it is, do you feel like you got to apologize for God's word? If you feel like you got to apologize for what God has said, you might find yourself one day in the camp going, crucify him. Got to apologize for what God has said. You don't apologize for what God has said. You declare it boldly. You don't have to fight anyone. You don't have to argue. You just, this is what it says. This is who God is. He's revealed himself. Here is his word. He has given us his life. Just see this. He, he, he's stripped down, brutally beaten, about to be executed and murdered and crucified. And, he, and they said, behold your king. Do you see Jesus and do you go, that's my God. That's my king. I want to worship him. Or do you say, I don't have anything to do with him. Because crucifixion is where we find ourselves next. And crucifixion is state-sponsored terror and it used to incite into the people, hey, if you, if you act like this man, if you say what he says, you believe what he says, you do what he does, you will be killed as well. This is what it is. So they took Jesus and went out, bearing his own, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others on either side, and Jesus in between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read the inscription uh, for, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. So people could see it. This was public display. People were seeing it. And it was written in Aramaic. It was written in Latin and in Greek so that, and no matter what, excuse me, so the, it was written in Arama Aramaic, Latin, and Greek so that everyone could read it. Anyone, everyone could read this. So the chief priests and Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate, Pilate answered, I have written what I have written. This is important. It's important. The Jews want to edit Jesus' title. They don't want him to be the king of the Jews, though he's the rightful king of the Jews. This is like us. When we feel guilty of our sin, we want to edit God's word. Ah, I don't really like that one. Surely God didn't mean that. Surely God didn't mean that. Like, you know, he's about to be hanging on the cross, breathing his last breath. And above him, it says the king of the Jews. They have to look at that. They have to watch him be crucified and go, oh, wow, we're killing our king. They are killing their king. They're killing their king. 
It's important for us to see this. When we edit God's word rather than proclaim God's word, what we're doing is, 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 is saying that what God said is not true. It's just like them. They want to cover up. Oh, just say he says he's the king of the Jews. He's not really our king. No, he is your king. And so crucifixion, they, they, they hang him to be crucified. And so crucifixion was, was a death sentence given to criminals. Jesus is innocent. We've already seen that. He's going to die a criminal's death. That means the two men next to him, he's in the center. Both men are criminals. They're now going to be, they're going to be put to death. The death penalty they're going to experience, for, and it's going to be just and righteous because they have, they have broken whatever law, they're, they're, they're criminals. Jesus is innocent. And so crucifixion became a, a thing under uh, Alexander the Great. It was one of the most painful, most horrific, uh, uh, disgraceful forms of death. Jesus has already been flogged. We've already talked about it. He's already been beaten. Now he's going to be crucified. And so what happens is, is they're going to they're stretch out his arms, pierce nails through his wrist on either side, his feet rope them together, Drive a stake, a nail. Think about a railroad spike through his ankles. They're going to lift him up to where he will then die, suffocating to death through his own, by his own blood. This is Jesus, the king, the crucified king. Friends, I want you to know, you and I deserve to be hanging there. We deserved to be hanging there. I want you to see this. You can't miss this. It was our sin that held him there. I want you to think, as the nails pressed into his hands that physically held him there, the nails represent your sin holding Jesus to the cross. See, we think about it this way. We're like, no, I, if we just think, oh, well, the Romans killed Jesus. This is hor- hor- horrible. This is horrific. This is, this is grotesque. This is, ah, I don't want to look at it. I, don't wanna. I want you to see, this is you your sin, holding Jesus to the cross so that he suffers and dies because you, in your sinful nature, chant, you and I, both of us, all of us, in our sinful nature, chant with the crowd, crucify him. See, our sinful nature wants Jesus to be dead. Our sinful nature doesn't want Jesus as king We want ourselves to be king. We don't want an authority. We want to be our own God. This is exactly what Adam and Eve did. God said, don't eat of this fruit. If you do, you're going to die. And then also, it's for your good. And Satan deceived Adam and Eve and tricked them into believing that God was withholding and, and wanting evil for them. We do the same thing. God, your word is, 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 it's, it's just too much. Your ways, you're just, they're just too much. You're, you're just restricting me, God. You're robbing me of pleasure. You're, 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 I, don't, I don't like your ways, God. The sin in our heart longs to crucify the king. So as you see Jesus brought up onto the cross, I want you to see that it is your sin that holds him there. As he is pierced, I want you to see that he's pierced for your transgressions. As Isaiah tells us 700 years prior. As he's crushed, I want you to see that he's being crushed for your iniquities. And as the prophet continues to say, that this punishment will bring you peace. But 
Don't miss seeing your sin. Your Savior lifted up to the, on the cross, but your sin's holding him there. So tell your sins. Behold your king. Tell your sins. Now look at the cross. See your king. See what you've done. Look at the, the, the blood dripping from his brow, from the thorns that are being pressed through. Look at the stripes on his back, the suffocating of his, 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 his lungs. The pain, the agony, the anguish that he is going through. Behold him. Take it in. Look at Jesus on the cross, brutally beaten and murdered. And tell your sins, that's what you did. It's your fault. That's what you have done. It is, you, it is my sin that's holding Jesus on the cross. Behold your king, your sinless king, the, the God king, the, the God in the flesh king, be all, marred beyond human likeness, the creator God, our savior, Jesus Christ. Behold him. Behold him brutally beaten. Behold him marred beyond human likeness. Look at the crown. Look at the mockery. Behold your king. And tell your sin. Look what you've done. Why do that? One, it's true. It was your sin that our sin that held him there. But number two, Charles Spurgeon was famous for saying, If Christ had died for me, then I cannot trifle with the sin which killed my best friend. See, this puts some perspective on it. If you can look at the cross and say, my sin, you know what you can say? My Savior. If you look at the cross and you say, their sin, okay, it's their Savior. In order to have salvation, you have to look up on the cross and say, nope, I'm guilty. I deserve that. That's me. That's what I did. That's what I did. Guilty. And then what does that do? It makes your sin kind of ugly. Well, it is. It makes it pretty grotesque because it is. And then you can say, and if Jesus has become your friend and your savior, you can say like Spurgeon, why would I trifle? Why would I play around with sin which killed my best friend? Stop flirting with sin. Just think, if you frame it that way, you're like, man, I don't even want to, why would I want to do this anymore? By the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the freedom and release to walk away. Walk back to Jesus. As you look up on the cross of Christ, may we stop carrying our guilt because your guilt is put on the cross. Stop carrying our shame because your shame is on the cross. Stop the woe is me, the self-pity, I'm a sinner, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a self-pity person. It's on the cross, crucified in your place. Look at Jesus from head to toe. And every time you remember your sin once, look back at the cross of Christ ten times. Crucified. Jesus, the King, crucified in your place for your sin. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven into, into a piece from top to bottom. And they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots to see who shall it be. It sounds like a weird comment. But verse 24 tells us why. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, the, verse 24 continues. It says, 
The soldiers, uh, for this was to fulfill the scripture, which said, they divided my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. So even to the detail, to the extreme detail of Jesus' clothes, not being clothes, not being torn, but being divided up and casted lots for, gambled for, so to speak, they, this was to fulfill the scripture. The details of the, of the life and death of Jesus are, were foretold very specifically, even to the point of what are they going to do with his clothes after. This was to fulfill the scriptures. So the soldiers took these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, uh, what, what were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of uh, Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to be his, uh, uh, into his own home. See, Jesus is still ministering to the hurting. Even to his last breath. Jesus is still ministering to the hurting. And he's mobilizing church, the church and Christians, individuals to do the same. He's looking out at John. Jesus suffering on the cross. Looks out, sees his mom. Just imagine the joy she felt when her that she she heard the news that her savior would be born. The savior would be born. Jesus was was going to be born. The angel spoke to her. She had him. The manger. The the life. The raising Jesus all the way up to this point. Now she's watching her son experience the most painful thing any human could experience as an innocent man. And he, Jesus looks out. To John, because we don't know, we don't know where Joseph is. We don't know where Mary's husband is. It's likely that uh, he has already died himself. It's we don't know. He's just not there. Jesus, on the biggest day of his his life, taking the sins of humanity, his earthly father's not there. His mom is is suffering, watching, and he looks out and says, "Hey, John, we take care of my mom. Hey, church, let me mobilize you to take care of the hurting." Those who are in need, those who are suffering, those who are experiencing loss. The, the, the mission keeps going. The king is still speaking on the cross. And from that day forward, John did it. He obeyed his king. He obeyed him. He obeyed him. John has now taken care of Mary, Jesus' mom, just like his own. Verse 19, the king's last words. And after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there. So they, they put a sponge full of sour wine on it, on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Jesus' last words. Perhaps some of the most important words that we could ever hear. How many of you, aware of your sin, feel like, man, it's not finished. I still got more to do. I got more. I got, I got to clean myself up to come to Jesus. I got to, if I want to come to God, I got to figure some other things out. Once I get these things in order, I got to come. I can come. Hear these words. It is finished. 
It literally is finished. In this moment, Jesus is literally taking on the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He's experienced the wrath of God, and now he's going to breathe his last breath. See, at this point, from this point, from day one, we, us, you and I, were separated from God. Jesus had never been separated from his Father. He had never been separated. We were born in sin. We were sinners by nature, meaning we inherited it from Adam. And we're sinners by choice, meaning we continue to willfully rebel. Jesus Christ had never been separated from his Father. Never. In this moment, he, he gives himself for us. He takes our place. He takes separation from his father. John Stott said it this way, for the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where God only deserves to be. And therefore God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Jesus has taken your place. There, an exchange has taken place. Behold your king, your crucified king. But hear his words. It is finished. It is finished. That means your past sin finished, dealt with, atoned for, forgiven. Your present sin, what you're wrestling through now, forgiven, finished. Atonement has been, has been finished. Your future sins, the ones to come. Nailed to Jesus on the cross. It is finished. Examine the cross. Look upon the cross. See Jesus, your Savior, and see that it is finished. The work is done. It's, it's complete. There's nothing you can do to, to earn this. You must simply believe. So Jesus says, declares to us, it is finished. Sin has been taken care of. He breathes his last breath, bows his head, pronounced dead. This is the point of Christmas. This is the point of Christmas. This is the point of Jesus being born. This is the point of his sinless life. This is the point of every breath that he breathed on planet earth was for this moment. To be crucified in your place for your sin. And it gives us great hope. Because there's no point to celebrate the beginning of a story if you don't know the end of the story. Right? If you, you, the story starts off really great and then it ends very poorly. You ever watched a movie like that? It's just, ah, really bad. Really bad ending started off great. See, God's story starts off awesome and ends even more spectacular. It starts off with Jesus being born here and then it ends with him being crucified. But after being killed, after being murdered, after being pronounced dead, after being dead for three days, God the Father raises him from the dead, proving that he is king, that he is victorious, and therefore conquers sin, Satan, death, and the grave once final for all who would believe. It is finished. This is glorious. This is the end. This is why the manger matters. This is why the virgin birth matters. This is why the prophecies being fulfilled matter. It's so that Jesus could grow up, be sinless, and die in your place for your sins so that you can know it is finished.
finished. Like your sins are, are dead and gone. He's removed them. If you place your faith in Jesus, we're told through the Psalms that he, he removes our sins. And he, he blot, and he, and from the, as far as the east is, from the west. And Isaiah, we're told that he blots out our transgressions and remembers them no more. Do you remember your sin? Are you calling to mind often that your sin, how, how, how much shame you have, how much uh, uh, you, 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 you just hate your sin or, or hate yourself or you're just so aware Aware of the sin that clings so close to you. I need you to know, look at the cross, look at your Savior, behold your King, and your sin has been blotted out. Your Savior remembers it no more. He remembers this moment in human history. He remembers breathing his last breath. He remembers the, the brutal beating. He remembers the, the, the crown of thorns. He remembers the, the, the nails piercing his hands. He remembers the length that he went to save you. And he remembers his last words. Will you do too? And it's finished. Sins have been atoned for. So how do we respond? How do we respond? We, we, we behold our king. We worship our king. We look upon the, the cross of Christ and say, my sin, my Savior. We, we look at our lives and we go, maybe, maybe we've rebelled against God. Maybe we've wandered from Him. Maybe we've, we found, find ourselves right now in a season where we're just confused and full of pain and, and hurt and, and rebellion. And we're, maybe we're, we're ashamed and we don't, we don't know what to do. We, we behold our King. We look at our King. We see Him. We see the length that He went to save you. We marvel at it. We worship it. If you haven't given your sins to Jesus, give Him your life. Give him your sins. Look at the cross, say, my sin, my Savior, and respond in worshiping the King. That's what we're going to do right now. Here in a moment, we're going to come up. Pastor Alex, and he's, he's going to lead us through communion. As we enter into that time of communion, what we're, going to, what we're doing is literally remembering the, this, this scene, the death of our Lord Jesus. So as you go to the table, I want you to do so with, with your mind beholding your King. Look at the length at which Jesus went to save you. Marvel, worship. Then we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And as you sing, worship your king. And then later we're going to have an opportunity to respond through, through giving and then through living our lives as constant worship to Jesus. Resolve now. When you see your king lifted up, Jesus on the cross, who will you be? Will you be like Pilate? It's not, not my God, not my king. I'm indifferent. Will you be like the crowds? Crucify him. I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus or Christianity or God's word. Or will you, will you be like those who would see Jesus after his death and believe and worship? May we respond in worship. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we respond now, would you give us hearts of worship? Grant us faith where we're lacking. Grant us encouragement where we need encouragement. Grant us hope where, we, where we're hopeless. Help us to look upon you, Jesus, our crucified King and Savior, knowing that it was our sin that, that held you there, but it was also your victorious uh, victory and your authority and your power that you gave yourself up for us to cleanse us of all sin, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Grant us salvation. Give us hope. Give us new life. Give us your righteousness. And then free 
free us from the pain of sin and slavery to death and the grave. And, and Lord, where we're feeling shame and we're feeling guilt, we're feeling that our, our, there, there's, there's, we we're so aware of our sin. May we see right now that there's more mercy and grace in you, Jesus, than sin in us. And may that cause us to respond in great worship. We worship you, Jesus the King. Amen.